Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome, everybody, to an episode of Small Doses, to a not depressing, I'm not going to say we've been having depressing episodes, Morgan, but you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a real thoughtful time uh, in particular right now. So I've been really trying to do my due diligence of making sure that we are having very insightful conversations and I'm, I'm throwing in humor where I can, but really just insightful conversations that are expanding our minds and, you know, just our considerations about things. And this conversation will be no different, uh, but it's going to be in a different realm. You know, we've been talking a lot about social justice. We've been like, talking a lot about black things, um, just as that relates to social justice. We've been talking about, you know, politics, but today we going to talk tech. And <laughs> um, so our guest today, Morgan Debon. You know, Morgan, so I met Morgan in 2000, damn, it's been a time. Uh, I met Morgan in 2016, which I feel like Blavity had just started to really permeate, right? Like Mm -hmm. Two years in. Right. because year two. And um, Blavity, how would you define Blavity? Because I have my version, but I wonder if it's the same. Blavity is a house of brands and digital media company for black millennials. We make black things for black people online and offline. And we try to make things that people like. Yes. The millennial part is the part, right? Because there is definitely a different tone, a different focus and energy than per se brands like Essence or, um, you know, Blossett, Bossett, except, you know, mm-hmm. Bossett, Madame Moore, et cetera. Um, and I've been a fan of Blavity and just the quality of content that you guys create and the mindfulness um, around the content you create. And the, let me let the dog out real quick. Hold on. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, the dog is definitely waiting for you. And now they want you to follow them. Look at them. Your dog's with you right there. I know. I saw him uh. literally <laughs> run back in. Like he asked me to open the door and then was like, <laughs> okay. So, um, and you all have expanded substantially since yeah. we first met. And originally it was just a website. And I heard you say, you know, we are multiple of brands on and off online, et cetera. And so, I would love for you to just first start by telling us like why you felt like Blavity was necessary within the world of tech and within the online space, because there were black spaces, but what made Blavity so special? Yeah. So a little bit about me. I'm from St. Louis, Um, started my career 
in tech, working in Silicon Valley, working at a big tech company as a product manager. So we're going to stop and, there. Because okay. you didn't, you went from St. Louis to Silicon Valley in I one did. sentence. And <laughs> And I know there was shit between there, so Barely. because I, I've been to, but I've been to St. Louis, and like I feel like that's yeah. a very that's like that's a very aspirational jump. Yeah, I was a weirdo. I was a nerd, you know. So um, I call this time the revenge of the nerds. You know, the nerds are winning everywhere, and um, I have always been an entrepreneur. Like I've always been somebody who like was a hustler. Always like I traded in the stock market when I was thirteen. Oh, wow. Um, I was played chess professionally. Like, I had a chess coach. I did, like, chess oh. stretches. Like, you know, <laughs> if you stretches. look up old pictures of me, you're like, oh, yeah, she was a nerd. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I relate. I relate. I relate. I relate. <laughs> glasses. Braces, I was going to say, we that. found our way. We found our way. We found our way. Because the glasses. Okay. Like, but, yes. Um, <laughs> so, I was... Uh, but I, what I really at the core was like, I'm a community builder. Like I was somebody who always was like, I'm going to be in student government. I was in more student clubs than I was in class. Like I was always just around people, even though I'm an introvert, but I like, I like being in movements and I like um, gathering people and I like empowering people to do what the hell they want to do. And really Mm -hmm. for me going to PWI, that meant being student body president as a sophomore controlling a like $3 million budget and then being able to allocate money to student groups and other people within the campus community that I felt like were being overlooked. And And which school was that? I went to Washington university in St. Louis. Got you. And, um, as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do after college, it was definitely a question of like, okay, you can go the traditional route and be a consultant or be a banker or go be a lawyer, but that's a pathway already defined. And there's like five to 10 years from where I was as a recent college grad to being in a position of power to make a difference where I wanted to. And that's, Mm -hmm. at least that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. And the thing about technology was that you didn't have to wait for anyone because the power is on the internet. You can create something and build something and it blow up and you have millions of users or billions of users and you don't have to go and get a master's degree and then da, 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 and do all these the steps. things. Right. Yeah. So that's why I picked technology and moved to Silicon Valley where, you know, there's like five black people in Mountain View at the time. It was me, my brother at, who was at Stanford and my co-founder now was at Palantir in Palo Alto. And, um, but I loved the business of building things at scale and innovation. I loved learning about how all these companies, Facebook, Google, TurboTax, how they made things that we all used every single day that changed how we interact with the world. And Mm. the part that was pissing me off, the part that I was annoyed with and frustrated with was that nobody looked like us and they didn't ever think about us as target users. We were never the people they were doing research studies with. We were never the avatar, the persona. Jermaine never made it to the whiteboard. Right. 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 And, and what are, why is that? I mean, I know my reasoning, but like, what's their reasoning that they would have for that? There's a lot of bias in the reasoning, you know, your target customers, your ideal profile, your ideal customer, your, your ideal person who's going to go through what we call your happy pathway of your product. Who's not going to hit any bumps. You design for that person. Well, why would you design for Jamal? 
Right. You don't even know Jamal. I was going to say, you don't even know Jamal. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so once you see that, that, oh, shit, y'all aren't putting these products in Spanish, despite the fact that most people who should be using your product speak Spanish as the first language, but you don't, right? Once you start pointing these things out and seeing this and then seeing the friction and the responses that you get, and again, I'm talking 10 years ago, we've made some progress okay. in the in the tech space, but not that much progress, but some progress. Um, but back then people were like, girl, we don't need these products in Spanish. What are you talking about? I'm like, well, like maybe you do. It's a financial services app for filing your taxes. Um, and <laughs> I could have chosen to spend my whole life fighting people and doing that conversation over mm. and over and over again. And I was 24 by then. So I'm like, man, I can already project my future if I stay here or I can take the roadmap. I can take the principles. I can take the framework and apply it to us, to our community, to our consumers and put Jamal on the avatar next to Warren and next to Cynthia and next to Amanda. And I can say, all right, she went to Howard. How do we design for her? He lives in Brooklyn. How do I design for him? This person's over here, they're doing this. How do I design for them? Right. And so Blavity at our our core is a company where we always put the black consumer, black audience, mm. black reader, black creative, black uh client, etc., first and design for us. And that is why we've been able to emotionally connect with our content. You know, when you go on our Blavity Instagram, you're gonna laugh. You know, because that's what you want to do on Instagram. You want to laugh. You want to think. You want to share. You know, the content on our Instagram is not going to be the same content on your our website. Because when you go on our website, you weren't necessarily trying to laugh. You were trying to find information. Information, yeah. So, but that's what it means to think like someone in tech. It's to design an experience that makes sense. Is it? I'm going to throw something out there and you tell me if I'm right. If black people are not intrinsically involved in tech, we will continue to be left behind because tech is continually moving forward and being led by folks who already have more access than us. A hundred percent, which is why my second mission after building Blavity was to build Afrotech, which is... The biggest black tech conference, the biggest black tech community to onboard more black people into technology roles and also more companies to get venture backed, be venture backable startups to raise venture funding and to be able to get to the next level in their business and hire people and do the things. Because to your point, we do need to participate in the ecosystem. We cannot just say, oh man, that's a bummer. And like, go work at Target corporate. No, right. I'm going to, and Target's an Avertech client. So I say that. <laughs> but it's a choice. But it's a choice. But that's a choice. You know what I'm saying? I need you to go work at Coinbase. I need you to go work at uh, Twitch. I need you to go work at YouTube because you, behind the scenes, we're arguing about algorithms mm. that show our content, right? Behind the scenes, we're talking about safety, you know, people feeling safe on Twitter. One of my girlfriends built the uh, spaces room on Twitter, black woman. Oh, dope. You know what I'm saying? If she had not built it, she's the kind of person who's going to ask the questions about, okay, well, how do you block somebody? How do you create safety in audio? How do you create, right? 
because she's a black woman, she's going to bring that to the forefront. But if she's not in that room, right, then we wind up with products that don't make any sense. Like when Clubhouse first started, a lot of black people were like, mm, this is giving unsafe. Why were they feeling that way? I never got on Clubhouse because I just, you know what? Actually, that's why I, I never got, I was like, nah. I'm not trying to be attacked today. No, I'm not trying to be attacked. I was like, you know what? People already will go the distance to try to attack me. So if it's made even easier for them, I'm good. Yeah, they have a lot of safety features now. And they have an incredible diverse team now. And there's black people on their cap table, meaning there's black angel investors who are invested in them. So- but this is because we now have power in some of these spaces yes. to start pushing these things forward. And part of it is because we've chosen to participate and be owners in these spaces. So my financial planner, which again, we need to have, I need to do an episode around that. Actually, I need to have him on the show because these are spaces that I feel like black folks, we look at and sometimes it's like in an ivory tower. Like, I don't even know what to do with a financial planner, right? Yes. Or we think like, I don't make enough money. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so in working with him and shout out to Jay Ellis who connected us, um, he's taught me so much. And one of the things he was telling me was like, okay, we need to invest in places that need our voices, even if they don't think they need our voices. And one of the examples was Microsoft because he mm-hmm. was like, he and some other you know folks that are wealthy- They invested in Microsoft, and Microsoft has face recognition technology that police are using, et cetera. And he was like, this technology is very faulty, and Mm -hmm. it has incredibly – it it can have incredibly adverse effects on our community, and it has done so. And he was like, but we were able to – Basically, it's, I think it's called like work our shares or something like that. And Mm. because there was enough of them – that were shareholders in Microsoft, they were able to be able to push the conversation around technology and saying like, no, this needs to be addressed and we have shares and these shares need to be acknowledged as part of the way that this Mm -hmm. technology is dealt with. But those are spaces that I feel like we just, they seem so niche and I've been really working hard, Morgan, to try and, and I feel like Blavity does this too, to just try and really push the envelope of where black folks are considering our spaces to be. Cause I think yeah. tech Technology is one of those spaces. Is our space though. <laughs> yes. Like think about Black Planet. Think about how revolutionary Black Planet was. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like But even we just black coding. innovation. We're innovators. But, but think about off Black top. Planet. We were or your MySpace page. If you had a marquee <laughs> that was going across, you coded that. That was HTML. I don't understand how I used to know how to code. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. So like you're actually, we could have and should have been much further along because we were all back there like, oh, I'm going to get this blank, blank, blank. Yes. Right? I'm going to figure out how to make this marquee. <laughs> and, but at some point we didn't think that that was a career track. At some point we didn't understand that mm. that was a place for us to continue to build into an occupation. And the key is for us to not keep making that mistake gener- generation after generation, which is why I brought up, you know, we need to talk about Web3 and make sure that people, because this is another transition point that's happening where we don't have to be left behind. Okay, so Morgan, when we before we got on, Morgan was like, yeah, we can talk about Web3, we can talk crypto. And I'm like, okay, wait, back up. I didn't even know there was a Web2, so I don't even know how we got to Web3. So can you please help us 
Because I know there's people that are in their car right now that are like, what, 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 was, what, what was Web 1? Um, <laughs> Al Gore's internet? So can you please help us understand Actually. the evolution of the web and how we've gotten to Web 3 and, and, and what you would like to see us as a just a Black community do differently in terms of interacting with it? Yeah. So first I have to say, this space was really, really fast. Uh, I'm not an expert. There's people who've studied this for five, 10 years. Um, and, but I will share what I know. Okay. So, um, web one was read and write. So like the first version of the internet was like, I have information and I need to put it someplace so someone else can read it. (laughs) Right. And that's when like servers were like the sizes of rooms and like Google was a search engine and Amazon, when you were like just buying books, like it was very one to many, right? That was web one. Web two was user-generated content, which is Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, social media. It is, uh, we are creating things on platforms and going back and forth with one another, but the platform still owns all of our intellectual property. You post a tweet Twitter owns it, <laughs> right? You post something on Instagram, Instagram owns it. Like music, Spotify, SoundCloud, like all these things are platforms. They're monetizing our information and our data. That's why all of a sudden, you know, when Apple updated their stuff and we all have to opt in 101 times. And that's why people are talking about the death of the cookies, how every single website you have to be like, do you agree to the terms of services? Because previously you didn't have to agree and everybody was selling all of your data. Right. Yeah. Right. When you do your ancestry.com or any of these types of DNA testing things, they're not bajillion dollar companies because they're making money off your 499 test. (laughs) I'm picking up what you're putting down. Right. They're packaging up your data and they're selling them to pharmaceutical companies. So pharmaceutical companies can run large data set tests against things instead of on humans or rats or whatever. So I'm okay with it, kind of. But you're not getting the revenue right. from somebody selling your data. You're actually, it's kind of like a bit of a Trojan horse in that like you think you're getting this, but actually they're they're really this type of company. Same thing with Google. You think, oh my God, you thank you for making Gmail like free. You see all those ads on Gmail? You know, they're looking through and tagging you. They were, I don't know if they are now, right? So mm-hmm. we as consumers have been participating in a system. And that's why when people are like, oh my God, I don't understand how like Jeff Bezos is so rich. I don't understand how like these companies can be worth more than the United States government have more cash. Apple has more cash than the United States government. That is not from selling iPhones, the hardware. It's because of the data infrastructure and the advertising and the transactions on things like the app store. So when you talk about companies becoming the size of countries right. in terms of their economic power, then we have to say, oh my gosh, how do we re-centralize this? How do we decentralize this and put power more in the hands of the people? And so all these nerdy coders came up with all of these different, what we call protocols and digital laws that um, were the foundation of Web3, which is where the world is moving now. And that's when people talk about blockchain or metaverses or like Fortnite, how you can go in and buy things and you have your own ecosystem. That's what Web3 is moving towards. It's community ownership. Community ownership. And the ownership is in 
how do community I ownership of your own data, your own assets. I see community ownership of the platforms. So let me give you an example. And and this is the thing that's important. I'm going to just talk about Web three, but there's different parts of Web three. There's NFTs, like when people talk about, oh my gosh, Jim and Kimmel is talking about a, he bought a JPEG of a board ape, or Justin Bieber bought this thing for three hundred thousand dollars, but it's just an image. Why would he do that? Those are NFTs. Then you've got metaverses. So that's when like you can put on your avatar and you can go walk around. Like Afrotech has been running a metaverse called Afrotech World, where you can have your avatar and you can walk around on your computer and you can talk to each other. And we do our whole conference because of COVID. We do our whole conference in a metaverse for the last two years. Creepy, but also necessary, but also. (laughs) We had boats. It was an island. We had boats. You could walk around. You could spontaneously see people. Like it was very cool. And we have one this week. I'll send you a code so you can check it out. Like it's super. I'd love to. Um, Then there's blockchain. There's cryptocurrency. So then there's the stories of like so and so bought Bitcoin like ten years ago. Another bajillionaire. Like that's cryptocurrency. (laughs) Right. So there's a bunch of different things that are happening, but all of this is under the umbrella of Web three. And so when it comes to cryptocurrency, you know, I think a lot of us consider it to just be for folks that are in this like very elevated nerdy space. But would you say that it is going to be far more mainstream than it really is now? A hundred percent. I mean, the big banks, Goldman, Morgan Stanley are starting to add cryptocurrency to their balance sheet and also underwrite um, things that are in Web3. In other words, once some of the most conservative banks in the world are starting to uh, integrate them into their financial systems and states and federal governments are adding laws. The state of Tennessee just passed a crypto law. So, you know, it took just yesterday, Congress didn't even know how Facebook made money when Mark Zuckerberg was, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But but they're they're like, oh, but we're going to regulate this money. It's ironic because it's like they're simultaneously moving forward while moving backwards. They're like, we're going to regulate this money and like really understand the tech world, but we're also going to become more archaic by like rescinding civil rights laws, by rescinding law loot, like reproductive laws. They're losing power because of Web3. Like, like Web3 allows for a decentralized set of power dynamics. People are creating their own communities on the blockchain and think like, so let me just give you some examples. Because I need I know to know what the crazy. blockchain is too, because I, <laughs> I've heard the word blockchain and I, I thought I knew what it was, but I don't. It's too much to try to explain. <sighs> Got you. Sitting. But let's just call it a centralized ledger. So let's okay. say that um let's let's make an amanda seals world okay Okay. so what if i could tell you that every single person who's gone to one of your comedy shows got an nft they got proof that they attended one of your comedy shows right so you know sis was there rocking with me back in the day what would you have offered to that woman who's been supporting you since day one what kind of access would you be open to giving her rewarding her for her 
deep loyalty, not these new people, but OG people who supported you. You may say, I'm going to give you access to a lifetime pass. Whenever you want to come to something, if you was rocking with me 10 years ago, honestly, I'm going to give you a lifetime pass. Or I'm working on a new show. I would love for you to see it first or be invited to the red carpet as my guest. You might come up with different ways to uh, reward people who've been rocking with you from the beginning. But how would you know that it was true? Right? Like you would give them an NFT, a non-fudgeable token. You would give them proof that they had attended. And then you could look it up on the centralized ledger that nobody could mess up on the centralized public ledger and say, oh, it's true. <laughs> I see. Because I could be like, yeah, girl, I was with you. What you talking about? It's a record. The centralized public record that the government can't mess with. So who runs it? Everybody runs it. It's a whole thing. There's servers everywhere. And this is where it starts to get very tech. Somebody's running it. Somebody's running it. This makes you feel like V for Vendetta. Somebody's (laughs) running it. And most importantly, the U.S. government's not running it. Fair. It's global. Um, Okay. And that's also why it's really exciting, actually, when you talked about, um, you know, Black access and Black people. The real opportunity for us as Black people is that when we start to build our own economics, centralized systems, Mm -hmm. like I could say, hey, Amanda, if you have your own, someone who has your NFT, I'd be like, oh, bet they can come to Afrotech. If you get this, you get this, right? So we can start to do trades in ways that aren't U.S. dollars. Ah, and there's a centralized ledger. And so another example, Coachella just released their own NFT collection. Coachella did. And it's sold out immediately. And they have different levels of NFTs that you can buy that get you access to different passes. They even have a lifetime access to Coachella pass. And it has all these things. Like you get a credit for food and beverage. You get to be on on the stage for this. You get to do this. You get to do that. And... So there's a lot of practical ways. Think about it also, you could do it as a digital membership, right? Like Soho House could have been an NFT or your local YMCA could be an NFT, right? Like you can create access uh, as a digital membership by owning an NFT. So it's not just the JPEG or the image. It's like, what does the image get you access to? It's a community. I think that's the part that a lot of us have not known about. Yeah. Yeah. That second part is the one that hasn't really been illuminated. I feel like I've just been trying to understand why this image itself is so impactful or vi- yeah, valuable. And I'm like, it's a, it's, it's a smoking dog. I don't know. You and know? that's the and- stuff that will change over time. And I think like, okay. that's why you know, Web2, original companies of Web2 don't really exist anymore. It's like, who uses Lotus Notes? No one. Okay. <laughs> right? Like things will die. Like companies will die. Things will go away. There will be fads. There will be ups and downs. Who would have thought that Periscope would have died or Vine would have died? You know, things go up right. and down and left and right. So don't be attached to the companies platform. or the trends or the platforms or whatever. It's the concept and the way of thinking and the underlying laws of how we're operating. And generally, that's that's blockchain, which is what enables us to do all of these things. So... Um, yes, you can go buy a JPEG and that'll get you access to some party in New York and this, but that community may die in two years. 
I see what you're saying. So you're just like, you know, if you buy this NFT, don't think of it as like a forever thing. You got to understand that buying it and it getting you access is you more so just involving yourself in a community that's operating. And by nature, by you getting into that mix, you are trans, you are, what's the word I'm looking for? You're moving further along. Like you're yeah. not staying you're in a different age. You're getting access to information. You're getting access to new people. Yeah. People share information. People give, drop people money. People send people uh, send each other other NFTs. So if you have one NFT, it might be like, oh, now that you have this one NFT, you now get access to the second NFT that's also worth money. And then, and then, and it keeps going. And so, um, like, AfroTech has an NFT ticket for AfroTech. So when you buy the NFT for AfroTech, which is the same price as the regular ticket. Okay. But now I know that you're about it. And now I'm going to reward you for it. So now I'm going to be like, hey, here's some merch. Hey. Here's this private party. Hey, next year's on me, right? Because now you're you've opted into our community. We have a online community platform called Discord, which is where we all talk and share information and people can talk to each other. We could offer create an Afrotech token where we could have an Afrotech currency where we pay our speakers in US dollars for Afrotech tokens that can be redeemed for other things, right? So you start to build your own internal economics that are not regulated by the U.S. government. Because you're not paying taxes Well, it gets weird. The tax code is crazy. But that's why everybody's like, ooh, ooh we got to get the tax code. That's why the government's like, oh, that. Right, because I'm just like, this is... You do pay taxes on NFTs because they're assets that sell and appreciate in value, but it is very... Everyone's playing catch-up. It's a mess. I mean, even in this short conversation, I'm beginning to understand this way differently. And I think that, is it fair to say, well, yeah, it is because you were saying that, you know, things change so rapidly. Like right now, this is the way NFTs are being the most effective and the way they're being utilized. But we're going to see that shift as with anything, but as the government becomes more aware and tries to weasel its way in to regulate, et cetera, et cetera. And my request of black people is that we participate because it will evolve and move by the people who are involved and move it. It's just like a political campaign. We must ask the questions to the candidates. We must participate in early voting so that they know that we're watching and mm-hmm. they're responding. So if if Republicans or Democrats or conservatives or progressives, you know, if we just let conservatives run a whole thing and progressives don't ask questions, you're going to go far to the right. Right. <laughs> yeah, going this way, going far to the right. <laughs> you know, but if everybody's talking, then people wind up in the middle. So if Black folks aren't participating, These white boys are going to run it up, and they already are. (sighs) They already are. When would you say? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how do you challenge that uh, in the work that you guys are doing, like, in a a practical way? Well, I try not to make it about them. I try to make it about us because I would be exhausted trying to change white people's minds about us. Yep. So my biggest thing, I just had a meeting about it this morning, is like we need to onboard as many Black people as possible to the basics of Web3, of blockchain, blockchain, of buying a fractional piece of cryptocurrency, even if it's $50, even if it's like $10, um, being creators in the space and actually knowing how to do that. So to me, my mission and Blavity's mission and Afrotech's mission is to be as as we're learning, share. Let's not wait till we're perfect. Let's not wait till, you know, 10 years from now when I have a PhD. Like, 
we need to, we don't have time to wait. We're already behind. We need to like get as much information out as possible. And simultaneously, we need to work with these tech companies to make sure that they continue to have diverse employees. Mm-hmm. So that as they're building these platforms, they're building these tools, they're coming up with the future. You know, Instagram is not the future, right? No. It's on its way out, <laughs> not its way in, right? right. So the companies that are on their way in, we need to make sure we are early employees of those companies. Yes. Yes. Um, is there, so when you talk about like onboarding, what does that look like? Is that just continuing to create, uh, is that just continuing to share information through the Blavity channels? Is that, so that would be everyone on this podcast going and doing their own research, like literally like spending time on YouTube. There's so many incredible YouTube channels. Um, there's a podcast called Bankless. There's a lot of really great conversations that you can just passively listen to. So you get used to the vocabulary because it is a vocabulary, just like anything else. Yes. I mean, you're using words, even like venture. I was like, I'm not sure folks even know what venture means. You know, we had Arlen Hamilton on the show. uh, And so Arlen, you know, definitely. So if you guys have not listened to Side Effects of Being, um, what was that episode? Side Effects of Being Under estimated, I think it was, um, because Arlen Hamilton was just that. She was like, you know, folks did not believe in me, but I got it together. And now I have a multimillion dollar venture fund Mm -hmm. and venture capitalism is people who make money investing in other people's ideas. Yes. I have raised $12.8 million in venture capital funding and it is not so that people gave me all this money, but I'm going to give it back and then some, and that's even crazier. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you do with that money? Like when you say you're going to give it back and then some, how does that actually get applied? Oh, well, that would mean we sell its acquisition or IPO, you know, and then they get their money back (laughs) and plus the return. (laughs) And so do I, you know, right? Um, and so do my employees. And then all of a sudden we got black millionaires running around. All of a sudden we have billionaires running (laughs) around. Um, when you talked about earlier about how Blavity has multiple products, can you just give us some insight into just the ways in which Blavity has expanded and why you decided to go into these other spaces? Yeah. So Blavity purchased and acquired uh, Travel Noir, Shadow and Act. Um, we own, of course, Afrotech, uh, which we created in-house, 2190 and Summit 21. Um, and we also have a ad network that's the largest Black ad network for uh, black publishers, which includes, which means we run ad sales. Like when you go on this, their websites and you see ads, our team is running the ad technology and selling those advertisements on behalf of black publishers, like the Shade Room, Baller Alert, um, Hollywood Unlocked, uh, and a variety of other black publishers. And the reason we do that is because we're stronger together when we go into these big agencies and we go to these big brands and we say, hey, you can't overlook us. You have to pay attention to us. But if it's just little old me and I only have a million you know, followers, yeah, they don't have to pay attention to me. But collectively, we're much stronger. Um, and also, it's a supply and demand. If you don't work with us, you don't get any of the audience because I got it all over here. And we've been doing this right. for years. Um, and that is one of the reasons why Blavity Inc. as a company has been able to be so powerful, but also stay true to our brand is because we've been able to control and influence the industry instead of just being at the whims of what these big marketing and agency companies wanted to do. And that's also why I had to buy and build more brands than just one because we're a multifaceted 
community. Like the person who likes travel noir doesn't read Blavity. The person who goes to Afrojack mm-hmm. doesn't read Shadow and Act. They don't even know what Shadow and Act is, you know, but for right. the Shadow and Act community, they're like, I read Shadow and Act every day. And we're but it really to be, speaks to the you know? mo- yes, we're not the monolith, and we say that all the time. And I feel like you know what you're explaining in just the way that you all have have acquired these different spaces is the uniqueness of your brand's um, path. What is it? Path to happy? Yes, that my happiness path, like my customer your happiness path. Pathway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the customer pathway. I mean, with Smart Funny and Black, like I've really tried to just get a better understanding of our audience in that way. And I think in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm just doing a comedy show. But as it became more about community mm-hmm. and more about just like who's actually coming to this show and what do they want yeah. in coming to this show, it really has shifted. And then we, during the pandemic, so when you were talking about the metaverse, we did a version, of, I mean, um, when you were talking about Afro. Afrotech being meta, we did like a version of that for Smart Funny and Black where you could go into like a pre-show that had like vendors and you could go... Yeah, we used Hopin, but then Hopin was doing too much. Um, But it's definitely not Web3, but it's closer. It's closer. I mean, it was. I'll say this. I had never considered anything like that ever. Like I didn't even know that was possible, that people could be in that space in multiple different ways. I guess that's what I mean. Like you could right. be looking at vendors, but you could also be like doing one-on-one conversations yeah. and you could also be listening to the DJ and like be in the room with the DJ we had spinning. And I was like, I think this is different. <laughs> this yeah, this is feels moving. not like a Zoom. <laughs> yeah. It, and that was the goal, you know, and that was the goal. But I... I'm also curious, just, you know, you're not just a black person in tech, you're a black woman in tech. Mm. And, you know, what has that been, what has that experience been for you? And I'm not assuming that it's been a struggle, but I'm just curious in terms of like, you're on a team that started with two brothers and you, Mm -hmm. you have a unique point of view that you're bringing to that conversation. So I would love to hear just more about like what your path and your space has been and what you want it to be. Well... You know, I think that being a Black woman in tech, being a Black founder, raising venture funding in a majority white venture funding world, people who are investing in these companies, is shit. You know, it's not necessarily okay. easy. Like, I, I don't want to say like, yeah, like, no, don't get punched <laughs> in the face every day, like verbally or emotionally, right? Like, yeah, it's definitely difficult. Um, and it, I think it's difficult for any woman, Black woman in power internally and externally within the own company. You know, there's certainly times where I'm like, you're disrespecting me because I'm a woman. You're disrespecting me because I'm a black woman and you think we're friends. But if I was a white man, you wouldn't treat me like this. In the same way that VCs and investors, when you are evaluating my company, you're asking me 101 questions that I know you didn't ask Jimmy over here because Mm -hmm. you don't either believe me that what I tell you is real, how much revenue we're doing or how much our audience is engaged. You don't believe me. I don't get the benefit of the doubt. Right. And I also don't get to make mistakes when I make mistakes, they hurt and they linger in that, you know, like it doesn't, I don't bounce back as fast. I don't. Right. And what's, what's considered a mistake. Cause so much of this is so willy nilly that I'm just like, how are we even considering things mistakes? Let's say I miscalculated our cash flow and all of a sudden our revenue our like our bank account looks low, right? We've got a lot of money coming in, but it's accounts receivable, right? So they haven't paid us yet. And we've got bills coming out. And let's say one of my investors looks at the bank accounts and says, oh my gosh, 
You only have a million dollars left in the bank. We're running out of money. You're messing up. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, we're fine. <laughs> like yeah. it's coming in is we're doing the things like it's fine. Like maybe it's, I told, I know I told you it was going to be 1.5 in the bank, but it's only one, but like, we're fine. If I was a white man, I think I would have been given a bit of the doubt. Like, okay, cool. Here's a couple more weeks. Like, let's just check in. But as a black woman, it's like, okay, we got to meet every day. Send me a report every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and then like, I'm getting all these additional consequences for like, I'm a first time founder. That was just a little bit of a, a misjudgment. These things are fluid. And so that's the challenge. Cause then you think you're crazy. It's like, it's, it's not mm. explicit and they don't mean to. And this isn't a real example. I'm just making one up, but like, those are the types of things where I'm saying we're not given a benefit of the doubt and that can be exhausting. And so I, when I talk to my black female friends that are founders and entrepreneurs, we might have the same numbers as, as Susie, but we're tired. We're ready right. to get out. We're exhausted. We don't feel fueled. We don't feel energized. And so I spent a lot of my time trying to build community for entrepreneurs and for black women because we just need to hang out with each other yeah. and play with each other and just be okay being ourselves and not always being on. What keeps you in it? Um, I think that I've tried to get out a couple times mentally. Like there's been a couple times. It's not that I've always tried to be like been in it. Like there's definitely times where I'm like, you know what? I need to just fall back for a second. Mm. And I don't mean like quit my job. I'm going to quit my job. I'm the CEO of this company. That's not it. crazy though. I but mean, sometimes it, you're just like, you know, I'm about like, to go start a scuba school in Maui. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm about to go to Costa Rica. <laughs> you know, but those are the times when I like talk to my co-founders and I literally be like, look, I need y'all to pick up a little bit over here because I need to fall back, all right? Or like, I do need a vacation. Um, I moved, I left LA and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. I left out of the rat race of LA because I was like, it's not sustainable for me here. Mm. I don't feel, when I'm finished with work, I still feel tired. I don't feel- Oh my God, I don't know anything ease. about that. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> right. And now I live in Nashville where nobody bothers me. <laughs> And, you know, it's not a constant, hey, can you go here? Can you come here? Can you come film this? Can you come do that? Can you go to da da da? And you just have to say, no, 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 no. And you feel shitty for like, saying oh, I no. Well, I don't live yeah. there. <laughs> I live in the middle of nowhere in Nashville, Tennessee, which is actually kind of popping. Listen, a lot of people <laughs> live in Nashville. Like Jill Scott yes. live in Nashville, Indy Irene live in Nashville. Like my music director for Smartphone and Black just moved to Nashville. I'm like, vibes. It's, it's vibes. vibes. Now Tennessee laws are not vibes. Tennessee laws. Is this no state income tax, however. But yes, I hear you. There's no state income tax in Tennessee. Interesting. No. I mean, I mean, it's Republican state. Right. That makes sense. It's a weird place though. I've been seeing a lot of just like random suffix coming out of Tennessee around just different bills that are getting introduced. And I'm like, you're looking really Florida, Tennessee. You're giving Texas. Yes. <laughs> you're really yeah. getting a little willy nilly with it. And I don't like it. I don't like I it. I don't like it either. I don't like it either. And yet I would rather be here and donate and be active. Yeah. I hear and that. And have the space to be active. Yes. And the energy. Like, you know, versus being like, I actually can't care about anything right now because I'm doing my best. <laughs> yeah. I hear that. I'm doing my, yeah. because, because that really is real. And this LA, and I know there's folks listening that can attest to this. It's has an energy. We're also like, if, 
you can get caught in the space of even if you do get downtime, it can feel like it's not downtime. It's neg- it's negligence. You know, yes. like I, I I shouldn't be relaxing right now because I'm letting something pass me by. You know, right. and someone says at brunch right now, and they invited me, and someone says this, and they're working on this, and I said I would listen to their this, and you know, it's a lot, and it's never enough in LA and New York and some of these other cities too. I mean, it's not just the LA problem. So do you see yourself like engaging in the metaverse? Like would, do you like go in that mix? I feel like I'm too old. I just got an a Oculus um, meta, which is Facebook's new name, sent me one. And I was like, oh. and I was like, okay, I'm gonna put it on. <laughs> and then I had so much fun. I was just in my room looking like a crazy person, just moving around. I was sitting a video. But I had I had a lot of fun. Now I'm not going to be one of those people that just like sits on the Oculus and like just tunes out the world. But I do think it. I like get video games, um, and so I really think that there should be black metaverses. Like, what if literally you could just pop in your avatar and like me and you could actually just like hang out and walk around or play a video game together? And like, I think that building communities mm. in real life and off real and online actually will bring us closer together because you don't have the physical financial barrier of things and the, the distance right. barrier globally. And like, so I do think there's opportunities for good, but only if people like us decide to opt in and make the good things or else it's going to just look more like white men making dumb things for themselves. Yeah. Sounds about right. This is a yeah. this is a um, unrelated question, but related. Did you watch Queen's Gambit? Yeah. Did you like it as a chess I'm champ? Obsessed. I was obsessed with it. Obsessed! Um, and I did similar things. Like I remember, I would make sure that my mom put rollers in my hair the night before my chess match because I knew that the cuter I looked, the more they would underestimate me, and they would use their experimental like chess openings instead of the one their standard one, and then they would make mistakes, and I would checkmate them. So, yeah, no, I, I was obsessed, yes. <laughs> How much do you feel like your knowledge of chess has come to help you in your knowledge of handling business? Oh, 100%. Learning chess taught me how to think strategically and, t- and to think through matrixes of the decisions. In other words, when you're, mm. when you're playing chess, you don't just think about your move. You think about, okay, I moved here, then they move there. And then if they move there, where am I going to move? And if I move there, then, where, then what are we going to do? And then how do I get over here? Right. And then it's like, well, if they didn't make that move, they make this other move, then I'm going to do this. Right. So you're constantly think, learning how to think through complex interactions. And you also have to read their body language. Do I think this person's a risk taker? Do I think this person's going to try to catch me on this mistake over here? Like, do I think that they're nervous? Do I think they're paying attention? Do they get distracted? So you also become really good at, it's like poker. You become really good at reading people. Um, so yes, I definitely think I use those types of strategy things. And so if you have kids or anyone who's listening to this is like, yeah, okay, but I don't want to learn how to play chess. Teach your nieces and nephews. Like it is really good as a young brain is evolving and growing for them to learn how to think strategically. Sure is. We got to think strategically, y'all. Strategy is very important. Um <laughs> 
strategery. Uh, we have a segment here on the show called The Script, where we provide our listeners with some supplementary uh, information, well, some supplementary resources to help expand this conversation. And in this case, I feel like it's more important than ever because I feel like for a lot of folks, this conversation had a lot of newness. Um, mm-hmm. So would love if, I know you mentioned some stuff earlier, but would love if you could provide um, any more examples of... Um, you know, whether it's podcasts or YouTube channels to follow or books, et cetera, that people can like sink their teeth into to help get on the good foot in Web3 and more. Yeah. So um, Coinbase, which is one of the biggest companies that uh, has crypto products, cryptocurrency products, so like a bank, um, has a website called Crypto Basics by Coinbase. And it's just really good quick videos on just the basic terminology. So I think that's a great place to start. Um, There's a podcast that I mentioned called Bankless, Mm -hmm. um, which is a podcast teaching about the financial, like more conceptual parts of Web3. So when I was talking about, you know, the US dollar is run by the United States government, but what happens when governments don't run dollars and currencies? Mm -hmm. What can that unlock for us? So that's called Bankless podcast. Um, And there's actually a lot of Black folks doing interesting things in the space too. Snoop Dogg is one of the biggest NFT collectors. So follow Snoop Dogg on Twitter. A lot of this stuff is happening on Twitter. So follow okay. Snoop Dogg on Twitter. Look up literally NFT Twitter. <laughs> the hashtag okay. is, is a thing. Just like Black Twitter. And just hang out and click around. Juvenile has a project coming out in, in Twitter. I mean, on an NFT project coming out. Nas did some cool stuff in NFTs. Kanye, of course, did an NFT project. Um, so we're doing things. We're in it. We're in it. And you can be in it too, y'all. Yes. You and you can, can join the Afrotech Discord if you want to learn with us. Yeah. It's free. It's open. Um, I'm in there. You can hit me up. I will literally DM anybody all these resources, like whatever. However I can be helpful it is a part of my responsibility and my job and Blavity's responsibility to do this work. Uh, when is the next AfroTech? Thursday. Oh! <laughs> How are you even having time to do this? Oh I have 100 God. employees. Fair, 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 fair. <laughs> um, is there still available? Is it, is it virtual? Is it in person? This is our metaverse experience. So this would be a great opportunity for people... Um, who want to experience the metaverse for the first time. It's super easy. Um, and yeah, there's tickets still available. Just go to experience.afrotech.com. Um, and then we have our big conference in Austin, Texas in November, which I would love to have you at. We can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. And that's 10 to 20,000 Black folks in this space coming into Austin, Texas to kick it, to learn. We have music. We've got all these fun things. And you'll actually just get to meet the people building this stuff. You'll have stand-up comedy. It'll be a great time. <laughs> I will now. Just send me to your agents. The CIA uh, me. Where am I going? <laughs> you're going to UTA, to Mark Gordon. UTA. Um, All right. Tell me uh, real quick, Rebecca, can this air Wednesday? I would love to get this up so that people can join Afrotech like on the fly, if that's possible.
You mean Ali, okay who's right here? <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, if it doesn't work, it's there's still plenty of stuff. Like Afrojack is always doing things. This is our only metaverse this year. Um, so then let me so. frame it. Let me frame this. Um, so by the time this airs, people have missed the metaverse. Uh, I'm just giving a different. Mm-hmm, just in case. Yep. Drats! By the time this airs, people will have missed the metaverse. So if they missed the metaverse, um, I'm, what are the Afrotech things that they can get involved in between now and you, there's going to be a big one in November? Yep. So they can join um, the Discord they so that they can stay connected to the community. And you can come to our big conference in November, which is in Austin, Texas. Um, but I think the first thing is like just follow the accounts on Instagram, follow the TikTok, get familiar, join the email newsletter. This is all free stuff besides the conference. So first, just get comfortable and familiar with vocabulary. And also know that there's like thousands of Black folks really out here doing this, you know? Like, so we're going to speak your language. Yeah, there's community. Yeah, like Like, we kick it, you know? So those, those are the first steps. Join the Discord, follow us on the social platforms, start reading, start investing your time Treat it like you go back to school for a second. You know what I mean? Yep. To get yep. onboarded onto this stuff. Like, just take an hour a week. Yep. And just slowly study it. You heard that, y'all? Treat it like you're going back to school for a second. That right there is such important advice because so many of us, like, I don't know, we just don't give ourselves permission to, like, have a discipline about learning something new. And then we get sideswiped. You know, we get blindsided. When I bought my house, I had to treat it like I was going back to school for a second. I had to just learn, like, okay, this is all new vocabulary. I need to read up on some things. You don't got to do it forever. You already have a whole life of experience that you're standing on. So it's not like you're starting from scratch. I think a lot of us, we always are afraid that, like, oh, man, this is going to be so much. But... Even when I, I'll take it to even when I started learning about what was about what's going on in Palestine, you know, there was a kind of fear I had at first about, and and that fear was instilled by outward um, places as well and people, but this fear that like, oh, it's too big for me to understand, not realizing that like I have a lifetime of knowledge and information that I'm standing on to to be able to take this information in. And by the end of the day, when you hear about it, you're like, oh, I've seen this before. This is colonialism. I've seen this before. It's the same shit. Um, so it's the same with tech. It's the same with even like I'm learning about, I didn't know shit about stocks and mm-hmm. mutual funds, et cetera. But when you just apply yourself for even a short amount of time, it just gives you language that your oppressor has been using from day one. And that is mm-hmm. so often, I feel like, the thing that keeps us out. We literally are not even in the conversation because we can't understand the conversation. So Right. The words are foreign. And yes. if you're willing to spend $50 on that Uber or $100 on that Uber Eats, you should be willing to spend $50 or $100 to just buy a couple books and learn something new. There it is. And there's like stuff online. There's like, um, you know, uh, master classes and. Yeah, Udemy has a great program. A ton of, Udemy is the name of it, it has tons of content as See? well. So we're going to get you there, y'all. And if you're following me on Patreon, we are also going to uh, have the script on Patreon. So if you miss any of these things, we'll have the script as well as some more added additional resources that you can look to because we're working on expanding the script to our Patreon and being able to provide you all like a lot more information, not just what's here on the podcast. Morgan, thank 
you so much. Morgan's always willing. Morgan is always giving herself to this black community. You come out of St. Louis, so I get it. You know, St. Louis is definitely a place of community. We know that Ferguson was not the beginning of that being mm-hmm. the case. And um, mm-hmm. I love what you guys are doing at Blavity. We've worked together at Blavity before. And to see Blavity continue to grow and expand under the umbrella of we doing this for the black folks is just a beautiful thing. So we're going to talk Afrotech November. We're going to figure that out. And uh, you all get on Blavity, get on Discord, and let's let's get into this. There it is. Yeah. Um, flex. I have 100 employees. Flex. But I was like, slight flex. That's nice. what they do. No, I'm kidding. Nice. I mean, not really. <laughs> um, but uh, I can give you guys some NFTs to share and give away to your Patreon folks. And really, yeah, like, honestly, Amanda, you're only like, we should have a separate conversation the other day, but like, you're like two seconds away from a Web3 community because you already have people paying for Patreon and you already have a group of people organized in a fashion. Like you're already basically there. That's the story of my life. Like being like... You're so close. <laughs> like, and then me being like, ah! You know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. even with like Smart Funny and Black and like us starting to get like back on the road again, like they're just... It's wanting to be able to connect like the real to tech in like build that bridge you're just you're like there so uh yeah i'm happy for us to talk or just chat or whatever this can be it yeah i want to i want to understand i want to understand morgan i want to (laughs) understand you know you've got it you've got it you're not you already get it it just needs to be reframed um otherwise you will i'm so good i have a house i have a man i have a life it's great Ditto. There we go. We've come a long yeah. way since the since the. <laughs> we, were, since we were like DMing each other like, so how did that work? Where did we get out of those? <laughs> ah! That's a conversation that we could have on the podcast yes. another day, which is how to do that. Listen, I was living with my mother for three months, DMing with Morgan, like what? you know what I mean. During the panty, we were like, this isn't working for us. <laughs> we need to make some shifts. Um, so I'm going to have, I'm going to have Janet coordinate with your folks to get some time on the calendar. And I really appreciate you being willing to give me some more information in this space. Cause I, I want to be not only in the space, but be able to do like you're doing and like onboard people from my audience yeah. to like get more into this. Because I do believe what I said, which is like, if we're not in tech, we're still behind. And this is, this stuff is moving like crazy. So, um, yeah, so let's do it. Like I'm really chilling. So Whatever's convenient for Nashville life. I'm really chilling. Nashville life for sure. And it is raining. It is giving rain. Okay. It is raining. Okay. All right. You guys have seasons. So there's that. Over here, it's like, eh, it was 66 today and it was 95 last week. So there's that. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you. A podcast network. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.